Welcome to The Hive from Tejitosa Sustainable Travel, a podcast for meaningful travel stories. We invite guests who have traveled abroad for more than just leisure travel, be it internships, volunteering, or study abroad, either as solo travelers or as part of a group. We also talk to local communities who receive and host these travelers and measure their impact. This is a podcast chronicling sustainable travel. My name is Wesley Maraire, Business Development Executive at Territorial Sustainable Travel and your host of The Hive. Today I am joined by Stephen Bailey, a co-founder at Cater Travel. Stephen, thank you very much for joining me today. I am excited to have you on board because after playing around with catered.com, I am a huge fan. And I particularly, at some point during this call, want to get into the escrow because that's something you don't find a lot on, on websites uh, that, that, that are booking. Just the security um, that somebody receives when they are booking through you is something that I don't see often. But in the meantime, Thank you very much for joining me. I'm happy you are able to make the time. Thanks, Wesley. Great to be here and great to continue our conversations, especially around sustainability and travel. Excellent. And so, as I always do, I want to put you on the spot there and say and ask for your contribution towards this sustainability and travel conversation. How do you contextualize this? So for me, a huge area of sustainability that is often overlooked is the economics and the economic empowerment. And for us at Cated, it means reducing the leakage that goes through the travel supply chain and ensuring that as much money that you spend when you go on a trip, when you go on your travels, stays in local communities and supports the places that you actually visit. And this can be firstly through reducing the, the, the middle person, so taking out, out the middleman who's, who's taking that money away, uh, and then also ensuring that whatever is being used is, is locally owned, locally operated, because you then know that local owner and operators are also using local guides, etc., etc. So that money that you spend is directly helping to sustain and support and improve the communities that you visit. That's been had a big focus with Cated. For me, sustainability in travel is also about improving the quality of travel, uh, because for me, before COVID especially, we were quite unsustainable in our model, you know, success in travel was measured on a global and local scale on the number of hotel nights, the revenue, the number of visitors, all these numbers, mass, 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 mass. How are we doing better? Well, we added an extra X hotel nights. For me, for us to move forward, we have to think about the quality of travel. That's how we can make travel more sustainable when we really focus on, actually, it's not how many hotel nights, it's the quality of experience we provide at each of those hotel nights. Fascinating, Stephen. You mentioned two things there that I want to, to pick up. The first is using local companies and, and using local guides, which is something that I found to be incredibly difficult because 
for example, if you Google what to do in Malta, chances of a small time tour guide who provides authentic um, experiences showing up ahead of TripAdvisor or Viator are very slim or, or next to none. How do you advise people who want to do uh, something like that in terms of doing the research? How, do you, how does one go about it? Well, you, you pick on a very good point. Somewhere like Viator supports uh, mass, it supports numbers. Who do Viator or TripAdvisor put high? Well, the people who provide the most bookings. So they're a company with 10 coaches. They get more reviews, they go up the rankings. They're happy to pay a higher commission, so they end up higher. And as you say, they usually take the jobs away from these local operators who are just um, one-man one companies doing their best and, and are so far down. I think what's important, number one, is to look further than what you find on page one. Uh, because it's easy to think that Google is just page one, that Viator is just page one, uh, and not go any further. But actually, if you trickle down to page three, four, five, uh, you generally will find uh, more local companies in that way. There are services uh, like Kated, for example, and there are others like us who really put the work in to find the local operators. So if you're booking through someone like us, you know that you're going to go directly to a smaller local company and not to uh, an aggregator, not to someone on Viator, which often means, you know, if you book on Viator, you might book with somebody who then commissions the work out to a freelance guide. And, you know, actually that freelance guide would be way better off if you could have gone straight to them and more, more of your money would have gone to them. So either do your own research and, and look further or use these companies that are actually doing the research and trying to support the small guide as the local person in that, uh, in, in the travel industry. And then comes in the escrow or as we call it in Zimbabwe, a trust account. And I don't want to limit what Kate does to just this escrow but it was something of a highlight to me as I was going through your website. And I, I thought it was important for travelers to understand how they can be protected when they book through a platform like yours and booking to uh, a local company in Zimbabwe, for example. And, but they might not understand what escrow is or what a trust account is. So let's work through that so that we can get an understanding. But also on the provider point of view, it also can't be easy to tell somebody that provide the service, we won't pay you until somebody has received an excellent service. So that's another twist to the story that, that can't be easy. Uh, but I, th I think it'd be interesting to, to talk through that. Yeah, so in Europe, especially through uh, what happened in the European Union and also in the UK, there is uh, package travel regulations. And that essentially means that when you book a trip, the trip has to be provided. Otherwise, you actually have some legal recourse if that trip is cancelled or you have a way to claim to say, no, the trip was not uh, as I expected because I booked a four-star hotel and you gave me a one-star hotel. 
And that provides some level of trust. But what it means is everybody books through travel agents because travel agents can do that. And say you're in Tanzania, say you're in New Zealand, say you're in Chile, say you're anywhere around the world and you're that great local provider. And we all know as travelers and providers that it's that local person providing a better experience. But the customer is not confident to book because if it doesn't go right, if something goes wrong, then where is their opportunity to get their money back? So what we've done, done located is, is to follow the package travel regulations in many ways uh, and, and to, to spell it out using an escrow, which says, look, when you pay for your trip, we're very confident about the providers we have chosen. We are very confident that these local providers will provide that trip. And we're so confident that actually we will front some of the money for your trip while your money stays in uh, escrow, stays in a trust account until the trip is completed. Now, what we do with providers is we say to providers, look, we know there are uh, some things you, we know you have to be paid some of the trip before before the trip happens, and we front that money to say, look, here is some money because perhaps you're going on a safari and there's a load of park fees to buy, etc., uh, etc. Et we also want to be really clear with travelers when they book that actually when you book, there are some non-refundable elements of this trip that will not be covered by escrow. So if you're going to go to Rwanda and you want to go gorilla trekking. Whenever you're going to cancel for whatever reason or et cetera, et cetera, you know, that money for your permit is not going to come back. The, the rest we can, we can sort out, but that's important to us is being transparent and saying, okay, you're booking, this is how much you're going to pay. This is how much is just going to be non-refundable because of the nature of your trip. The rest is held in escrow. When you come back, tell us you're not happy and we really will work through a negotiation to make sure that the, you, are, you are satisfied with, with, with what you've received and, and what you've paid. Then for the providers, we're very confident. So we will say, look, here's some money that we're paying to you as catered uh, so you can run the trip. And afterwards, the rest will be, you'll have all the money and then we'll take that money that we fronted back. Brilliant. It's it's closing the loop on 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 safety on the financial side, and which is which is something that is commendable. And while you work with locals, I recently had a conversation with Sarah who differentiates between travel like a local and travel with locals. And I wondered which of the two you think you would fall into. She described travel with the local as having a local buddy that shows you around, and it could be a travel company that's based in destination. Um, and traveling like a local is, you know, having somebody set an itinerary for you, but going away on a holiday the time that you visit. So you use what the information and knowledge that they give you, uh, but they're not there to, to take you around. Um, is this something that you you have done, Stephen? I suppose, yeah, I've definitely traveled with locals and tried to travel like a local. For, for me, a, a difference would be if I'm traveling with locals, 
I have some support in terms of the language and culture uh, because I can travel like a local and I, and I think I agree with the differentiation and I can travel like a local but if I don't have the ability to speak the language uh, I don't think I can travel fully as a local if I don't know the culture, if I don't know the customs, if I don't know the history, if I don't know the land it's quite hard for me to be a local. I can want to be a local, but I think I'm always going to be a visitor. I think I can be a local right. in a place where I, I live in and I really have a longer affinity and stronger affinity. Uh, for me, the best way I've always traveled is actually with locals, um, whether it is uh, for half a day being in a city, whether it's for two weeks or whether it's for longer. Uh, the the best trips for me are when I have that local guide because there, there are so many ways the trip, so many directions the trip can, can turn. Uh, so much serendipity, so much opportunity when you're traveling with a local person who understands this place and has been to this place uh, many times before. And I also think, like, I like to be a host in the place uh, I am. So it's when I stayed in Cape Town, also now when I'm in Alicante in Spain, I love to be a host. And when I am a host, I, I still get, I get that sense that the people who I'm showing around are getting a much better experience because I can take them to places that it took me six months, one year to discover. And I might've thought I understood this destination and I might've thought uh, I was experiencing this destination as a local when I first went there, but I wasn't. Only after six months did I realize while there are so many other things to discover because now I'm more of a local. Right, yeah. And Stephen, one of the things that's difficult to do is present itineraries that are sustainable, primarily because we haven't yet arrived as an industry at a universally acceptable way of talking about travel. And I think we can all agree that it means different things to different people in as much as we're all united by, say, the UN SDGs. Have you encountered, and if you have, how have you dealt with what, what a friend of mine calls making sustainability sexy? Uh, dressing it up so that it can become part of the conversation without either shaming a traveler who's trying to book through you or a friend who's asking for advice to a destination that you've traveled to before. Um, how, have you, how have you gone about it? Yeah, making sustainability sexy, which is a sexier way to say greenwashing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think I'm fortunate because I've, I've traveled a lot and I've had an experience in seeing who is doing things well and who is just saying, hey, this is eco, hey, this is uh, sustainable. And I've learned that through experience because I've stayed at a place that was, uh, I remember the first time I stayed at an eco hotel and I was really excited. It was this new thing, these eco hotels. And I went there and I thought, what is eco about this versus the place I've just stayed other than I'm paying twice as much to stay there. Uh, I, I think it's important that travelers have, travelers are educated, but travelers also inform themselves and come up with their own idea. Look, what is sustainable to me? Uh, and I think it's important to remember that there's not 
an end goal. There's, there's not a finish line. I think we're all in the industry as travelers, as providers, on this continuum from being as unsustainable as we could ever be to being very, very sustainable. And, and we're kind of at the start of this journey and we're going to keep moving this way. And I think it's okay for a company to say, we do this really well, but we're still working on X, Y, and Z. And I think that transparency is often what I look for when a company says, hey, we've done an amazing things with, with water management. We have created this itinerary and we do offsetting to cover this, this, and this, or parts of these, this itinerary. We, is part of us trying to be more sustainable. But then also for them to say, actually, uh, this part of the itinerary is, is not that sustainable and hopefully in two years it might be different but at the moment it's not rather than just saying hey this is the super sustainable eco-friendly most conservation friendly thing you'll ever do this year so book now you know that's making it sexy and greenwashing being transparent is what's actually going to make a difference in the future true True. And, and we find the same thing because, you know, I'm based in Zimbabwe and so for and we operate an inbound travel company. So what it means is our source markets are the US, the UK, Germany, the Netherlands. And for any of those countries, people living in those countries to get to us, they've got to be on a long haul flight um, with at least one or two um, layovers. So. Again, the most sustainable thing to do is not to travel, right? But we're a travel company, so we're saying but, travel. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can take it another way because then you can say, well, actually, it's better to go by, a, by train. Well, actually, if you want zero footprint, why don't you walk? Why don't you right. walk to your destination? Right. And you can keep going. And then you, but I think you've got to be uh, pragmatic about it. Look, this part of my trip is not sustainable, but... Maybe there's more because if I do travel to Zimbabwe and I learn things through the cultural exchange I experience, I can take that back to what I do at home uh, because there's a lot of things I've learned uh, from travel that have made me a more sustainable person. Like before I started traveling, I was, I, I was very wasteful. But through traveling and from learning what people do all around the world, I've become a lot more sustainable in my everyday life. Right. And speaking, speaking of, um, would you stay in a hotel or a homestay? I know you've shared with me before, you've, you've done both. Uh, and so I wonder if you've got a preference or it's a seasonality thing or there are other factors to consider. Yeah, usually when I'm traveling, I'm, for, for 14 years, traveling, pretty much most of the time, um, and I was also working. And, and usually what it would be is during the week, I would look to stay in somewhere that was private and comfortable, um, an apartment, an Airbnb. Uh, but then on the weekends, I would want to stay in a homestay. I'd want to go camping. I'd want to really be a, more immersive in my experience. So I, I think homestays are amazing. I think pretty much every trip I go on, I'm looking for not necessarily a homestay, but at least uh, a guest house that's owner operated where you can have some communication with the person who, who owns it, who can show you what's going on in the area. Uh, that is the very least. Definitely for me, where I would never stay is a hotel with more than 
50, 60 rooms or, or any, any kind of accommodation that, that I feel is not operated or owned by somebody in that country. Brilliant. And as we move forward to, the, to travel, you've got travel stories that span, you know, over a decade. And let's, let's walk through some of the sustainability elements that you've incorporated in either your own itinerary or itineraries um, that you've listed on, uh, catered. And maybe we can tackle some of the sustainability elements if we're looking at environment, if you're looking at one that incorporates uh, local communities, and if you are perhaps looking at something that you've also uh, seen to be profitable throughout the supply chain, because I think that's one of the sustainability elements that is often neglected, uh, where we need to be generating an income for tour guides, for homestay families, for the travel agencies themselves, uh, in order to, to pay good wages and, and, and that sort of thing. So I don't know if you would have examples of itineraries that you'd love to walk through and it can serve as a way to highlight some of the destinations that have made a mark on you. Yeah, I think what's been very advantageous is traveling in so many places and trying to travel locally has been the connections I've made. So then having a travel business, knowing that actually, if we have a request for Malawi, I know there's somewhere, someone, I personally know someone there in Malawi who is organizing trips that are very local that are evolving homestays uh, in and around uh, something that's more private and, and more high-end staying on the lake i think what i've learned and, and what i've really taken into to catered and uh, is that it's important to get away from the the top few destinations like for me, the really good stuff in travel happens when you step away from the top five list, the, the top five things you see when on Google. Uh, and that means to travel into destinations that are less developed in terms of their tourist infrastructure. And then those destinations even more so require that local uh, operator, local guide, because it's harder to do it for yourself. Now, Catered, we have uh, a series of example itineraries that, that we put on, but uh, I must stress that our model at Catered is that we are not creating the itinerary. We are not uh, creating the itinerary for the traveler because I cannot create an itinerary for somebody going to Zimbabwe, somebody going to Colombia, somebody going to Tanzania. The person who can create that itinerary is the local provider. So. Uh, our model is very much, here are some examples of what you could do, but this is not cookie cutter, this is not tailor-made in its traditional sense by saying, look, you might have three hotel choices tonight. This is really a starting point for you to get an idea what might be possible in the destination. We connect you to the local operator, and then you tell them, look, this is exactly what I want, whether it's a safari, whether it's something for your family, whether it's a special request, et cetera, et cetera, because it's that local operator that knows the breadth of experiences that can be done, that local operator that knows the ins and outs of making that itinerary and will say to you, actually, 
you can't do that in three days because you're going to have six hours on the road. You're going to be too tired with your kids. Why don't we do this instead? And I think it's that local knowledge that makes a trip uh, so much better than you've seen an itinerary on the internet and saying, okay, uh, and that's the one I book. Right. And I've had those um, experiences before. We had a, we had a faculty led program um, where we had a group of uh, pre-medical uh, school students come to us and their, their leader went on Google and plotted in the different points uh, in, in Zimbabwe to say, okay, from here to there. Now there used to be a road, so she was not completely wrong. Mm-hmm. There used to be a road, but that road doesn't, is not functional anymore. Um, and so in, in the calculations, it was, it will take us three hours to cut across pretty much the country. Um, and, <laughs> and they, they'd already brought in, you know, to say, this is what our itinerary should look like. We've, we've, you know, we've done our research and it had to go back again to me going back to the drawing board and saying, no, 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 you cannot travel through here. No one's traveled through there in 15 years. Um, and <laughs> it's one of those things where you then, you know, are appreciated for being, uh, having boots on the ground. And I think it, it, it resonates very well with um, what you were saying and the way that you operate at, at Catered. And so for you, Stephen, do you have an itinerary that you've traveled on yourself that has incorporated some parts of sustainability? As I mentioned, when we talked uh, before, you highlighted that you, know, you met a Zimbabwean in Cape Town who then told you to go somewhere else. And I think those examples are ones that you know, we might take for granted because you were a participant in it, but could inspire somebody else to figure out, you know, those are some of the ways that I can, I can, I can, I can go about staying longer in a destination or, um, you know, planting a tree. And I'm not saying you've planted a tree. I'm just giving examples of some of the ways you, you, you could have traveled that could inspire somebody else uh, that they may not have been thinking about. Yeah. The, the, Best ones I've seen for really local community-based tourism. Uh, I mean, one of the great ones is I've, the best I've experienced has been in Kyrgyzstan because there they have a national network of local people providing tourism experiences. So providing homestays, uh, providing horses that you can rent so you can go on a horse trek, providing guides for your horse trek. And I did a eight-day horse trek there uh, and the way the model works is that everybody gets fair opportunity so the homestays I used would not be the same as the next traveler coming through because then another family would benefit from it. Kyrgyzstan is where I've seen this community model uh, work on a, on a national level and, and what I like about it is it's the community way is there's a fixed price okay when you go to this homestay this is the price, this is the expectations, but everybody has an opportunity to participate in it um, and, and have that cultural exchange with visitors. I've also experienced it in the north of Thailand where different actual tribal communities have come together. So you can hike or motorbike between villages, uh, stay in homestays. And what's great about it is because it becomes uh, something that's a little bit more official, but you know 
that uh, the money is going in the right place. When you get to these destinations, uh, there's a great reception to visitors. Uh, and that's quite different to, uh, for example, in Thailand, uh, a Western owned tour operator taking you to a village uh, that's in the mountains and quite remote uh, and saying, here's your village tribal experience. And the people in that village are looking at you as a visitor and knowing that you're here, but no, no money that you've contributed is actually going to come into this village unless you buy a souvenir on the side of the road. Uh, I've also had it in Rwanda. There's a great hiking trail. Um, you can also do it by bike if you're very adventurous uh, along the lake uh, in the west of Rwanda. Uh, Kenya and, and Tanzania, I found, have got some great examples as well, uh, where basically just having this model of community-based tourism and an honest way that if I come, this is a set price for these services and people in the communities can benefit from it. That's brilliant. Those are really brilliant examples. And they then give me the impression that, you know, you were able to find these people, was it through word of mouth or recommendations or was it through a particular uh, site that you had to go through to find them? Yeah, I mean, word, some come through word of mouth. I mean, unfortunately, it's not as strong as it used to be, but Lonely Planet's Thorn Tree Forum uh, used to be really a hive of great advice, especially if you were traveling in countries where there is less uh, tourism. I, I think it's getting a, more difficult now uh, than, uh, than, than what it was um, perhaps five, only five years ago uh, in, in that regard. I think it's important to give yourself time in a destination uh, because it's easy, oh, I, I want to experience this and you already plan an itinerary and it's already too fast. And then that doesn't give you the time for the serendipity. That doesn't give you the time to meet someone on your first day who tells you about something else that's happening further along the trip. Uh, and I think for me, I would say to all travelers, uh, travel as long as you can. And if you can't travel longer, then just limit how far you want to go. Because when you travel deeper, you're more likely to be sustainable and you're more likely to have a better experience. Right, and I, I agree with you. Slow travel is, is the way to go, even with our rushed lives that we're leading. And when we do have an opportunity to, to do so, we ought to try our best to, to ensure we, we do. And Stephen, I don't want to get you into trouble, uh, but I will put you on the spot again and say you host uh, the Catered podcast. And you've spoken to many people, uh, including destinations that you've traveled yourself. However, I want you to reflect on some of the top stories or memorable stories. And your guests are going to be mad at you because you can't possibly cover everyone because you do a daily podcast. Uh, so I will apologize on your behalf for those who will not make it in the list. Uh, but I thought it would be interesting to share with um, audience of this platform some of the you know episodes that um, stick out for you for one reason or another yeah so the catered travel podcast is a daily podcast now over 200 episodes and each episode covers a different topic or destination now in terms of sustainable travel 
more generally, uh, there's some great ones. Uh, episode 211 uh, with Natalie Grolimund. It's great about just rethinking your way of traveling. Uh, that, that one I really like. Uh, I would also encourage you to look at the destination episodes that feature a guest because there is going to be a guest from that destination talking you through what's going on in that destination. So whether it's Southern Brazil episode 191, whether it is Abu Dhabi episode 198, Morocco 202. Uh, a great one to get in a feel for this is actually uh, 210, it's in Florence, famous city, all about the Renaissance. The guest is a travel guide in Florence, Cl Clarissa Menino, who says, forget about the Renaissance. I'm going to show you a completely different side to Florence. Uh, and, and I really like those episodes because if you know where you're traveling, if you have an interest in a place, take a listen and you can get some ideas about traveling more like local. Hopefully you can even get an idea what it would be like if you were traveling with a local in those destinations. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. And what's one thing that makes you smile when you think of Spain? <laughs> uh, when I think of Spain, I, I, I love the speed of the lifestyle in Spain uh, because it, it finds a nice balance between getting stuff done. So anything that is official in Spain, Spanish people are actually very punctual. But your leisure time, the time that you take to do things, especially eating, uh, is, is very much your time and, and there's, no, there's no looking at the clock. Uh, and that's very different from growing up in England or also my wife is Dutch and, and living in, in Holland for a while. Spain, there is not the sense of what is the time? What do I need to do next? It's you no know, enjoy my time now. Okay, Stephen, you've traveled all around the world and you have traveled to my beloved Zimbabwe. Can we reflect upon your travels in and around Zimbabwe? Yes, I've been to Zimbabwe three times and I feel very fortunate because I met someone in Cape Town who invited me to stay with his family uh, in Highfield, Harare. Uh, which was a very interesting experience. Uh, and I think going there gave me the confidence to really explore the rest of the country. I loved being in Great Zimbabwe. I thought that was a, a fantastic place. I remember camping and they had a communal campground there. And I think I was the first, uh, it was the first one that had logged in um, in 10 days to stay in this campground. Uh, beneath uh, Great Zimbabwe, uh, and there was Boons, it was really fantastic. I also, the second time I went, uh, I went to the, the Eastern Highlands uh, with my, uh, with my then my girlfriend, uh, and we traveled there and they told us, look, 20 years ago, we actually got a lot of travelers through here, but again, you know, you're the first one in, in two months, uh, and it was just fantastic hiking there just in these places where there were just no other people. It, it was just so much space and, and that's what really stuck with me. I'm also a big um, fan of, of overland travel and also train travel. Uh, so, so great train travel for me was uh, going from the Eastern Highlands 
there's a, there was an overnight train that goes to Harare, uh, and that, that was a, a great experience as well. And I have to say that the, the quality of uh, train travel, I mean, this, this is going back five, six years, the quality of train travel uh, versus the price um, in, in Zimbabwe was, was one of the best I've experienced anyway. Yeah, no. With the, I haven't taken the train myself in a while, but I've taken the one that uh, you 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 were on from Mutare to Harare, or from Harare to Mutare. It's 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 magnificent. And were you in the sleeper coach? Yes, yes, I was in the sleeper coach, um, and, and and this is what I think the value com comes in because the, uh, to take that sleeper coach was, I mean. A lot cheaper than than the, my experiences, or even in other parts of, of Africa. Because in other parts of Africa, when I when I've taken a train, there perhaps wasn't the the sleeper coach available, or if it was, you had to go on a special train, which was a hundred times more expensive and a completely different experience because it's operated by some foreign company. Right, right. Now I totally, I totally agree. I have had the experience in in South Africa because they have luxury. Um, overnight trains or multi-day trains and, and you have to you know fork, fork out a, a few hundred dollars a few thousand dollars to to get on that train um, and you mentioned the eastern highlands which is one of my favorite places again because that's where what my ancestral home is and so it, it is absolutely magnificent and I'm not surprised that you as a uh, somebody from Britain would would have loved that you know they used to call it uh, little England that part of the country in Zimbabwe <laughs> is this because many people from England had settled there and they were the settlement farms in that area yeah and I suppose it reminded people of Scotland um, as well uh, so you will have the the Queen Mother and Queen Ma and Princess Margaret coming over to the then Rhodesia and spending a, a lot of time out in those mountains. And some of the hotels still have their names on the doors now to say, you know, Queen Mother stayed here. Um, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I think a long time since they passed through, and I am glad that. I mean, I do hope that tourism in uh, in that region and other parts of Zimbabwe can can really grow again. Because because when when I was there, uh, the three times I was there, there was there was this hub of travelers in in Victoria Falls, but outside Victoria Falls, I didn't see anybody, uh, and that seems quite a shame because such a great country, such opportunity to to explore there. And I think there's still a fear and a stereotype about. Zimbabwe in some senses. The same there is about a lot of countries in Africa and people can then tend to be quite cautious in where they travel, thinking, oh, it's dangerous going in, in Malawi, it's dangerous going in Zimbabwe, it's dangerous going to South Africa, not realizing that actually Barcelona uh, has got way more chance that you're going to get pickpocketed or, or you're going to lose something or, or, you know, being on the tube in London when it's absolutely packed, there's a lot more chance you're going to get robbed there. But, it's supposedly a very safe destination. Yeah, it is, it, is, it is one of those things that we haven't done a great job at countering that narrative um, ourselves as say Zimbabweans or Malawians. And so our story is often told 
through the eyes of, of other people. And I think, and, and those people who probably have spent only a day or two uh, in the country, if they've actually ever been to the country. And so with platforms like these and even platforms like yours, we are beginning to, to paint a different narrative, which is something that I think is going to work you know, to our advantage in terms of saying it like it is uh, on the ground. And hopefully it will dispel some of the fears that people have when it comes to choosing to travel um, to, to my neck of the woods, um, which, yeah, which I hope it will, it will change. And once they do that, to then move them away from the Victoria Falls, which is a great destination, but not the only one, and perhaps not even the best that we have in, in Zimbabwe. Uh -huh. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really hope it can, tourism can grow in Zimbabwe. Yeah, and you know, we had started going back on an upward uh, spiral 2017, 2018, 2019 was probably our biggest year and then COVID hit. So we're hoping we will, you know, pick it up from where we left off and yeah, just continue growing from there. Yeah, and I'll be back because I really want to go to a one-way national park. Oh yeah, um, that's yeah, that's definitely a, a, a must do. Yeah, say, say, save up about four or five days in your trip and it'll be a good time. Mm -hmm. Can you describe your experience in Zimbabwe in three words? Eye-opening, inspirational, and incredibly beautiful. Brilliant. I like to hear that. <laughs> and lastly, as we wrap up, Stephen, the travel experience that lives rent-free in your mind. The travel experiences that live uh, free in my mind would be uh, the overland journeys uh, that I did uh, when, when I was first starting out as a traveler, traveling overland from England to Kuala Lumpur, traveling overland uh, from Cape Town to Nairobi, also from Egypt to India overland. Uh, they will always stick with me because it, was, it felt that I really was traveling deeper. It felt that I was traveling at a slow pace that I could absorb uh, a lot more than what I would perhaps do now when I would only have two weeks, four weeks in a place. Brilliant, brilliant. Stephen, thank you very much for taking the time to come and speak to me. I really appreciate it. Wesley, yes, thank you for having me on the show. And I have to say again, Zimbabwe, incredible country. And I really do wish I can go back there sooner rather than later. Brilliant. You've been listening to The Hive from Teachers of Sustainable Travel. I hope this episode has inspired you to seek or to continue to explore travel with purpose. Join our community on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and please do subscribe so that you can receive notifications each time we have a new episode. Tatenda, thank you.